Jeremiah chapter 35. We look at three things from this passage this morning. First of all, the family that is being spoken of here. Secondly, the testing that uh, Jeremiah is commanded to do. And then thirdly, the example that this family provides. And that's why the chapter's there. It's clear that the Lord is providing to Judah, chapter 35, to use this family as an example. But that example is not only for the people of Judah, it's for you and I today as well. Especially for you and I as fathers upon this day. So first of all, the family. Just a a little bit of the history. We first uh, begin to sort of learn about this family during the time of of the Exodus as uh, this group of Rechabites. Actually, the, the family name prior to that okay, is the Kenites, or sometimes they are referred to in Scripture as the Midianites. In particular, as we turn to the book of Judges, we find out that these Kenites, from which Rechab is a descendant, are non-Israelite, Members who are traveling with and reside with God's people who have come into the community by means of Moses' marriage. So these are not Israelites. That, that's part of the, the, what, what's behind this. They're not Israelites, but they have been included in God has graciously adopted this clan in of Kenites, of whom Rechab is the one who is recognized as the father of this particular clan. But as we read chapter 35, one other member of their family takes the prominent role. So the family, the Rechabites, descendants of Rechab, who are part of the Kenites, of which there are other family tribes. But here's one, okay? So we take the Kenites. One of those descendants is Rechab. Now we're tracing it down a little bit further, okay? We're we're going forward uh, uh, another 150, well, no, excuse me, okay? Seeing it's Judges chapter 1, we're going ahead about another Five to 550 years. So the clan still exists. 550 years later, we turn to 2 Kings chapter 10. Okay. And in 2 Kings chapter 10, in fact, we might as well go there together, okay, just so you, you can see it as well. 2 Kings chapter 10, we are in the midst of the reign of King Jehu of Israel. Now, if you know anything about Jehu, one of the things you know about him is he drives exceedingly fast. No comments, okay? The second thing that you know about Jehu is that he is bent on the destruction of Baal worship and of those involved in Baal worship. So he, he, he is the man that Elijah was called to anoint to be king of Israel because God said that that one of the means by which Baal worship was going to be eliminated in Israel was by Jehu. And when we get to 2 Kings chapter 10, Jehu is in the midst of that. Okay? That, that is going on. 
right? That is happening. So go to 2 Kings 10, verse 15. And when he departed from there, he met Jehonadab, same guy that's being mentioned here in Jeremiah 35, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him. And he greeted him and said to him, Is your heart true to my heart as mine is to yours? Jehonadab answered, It is. Jehu said, If it is, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand. And Jehu took him up with him into the chariot. And he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So he had had him ride with him in the chariot. And when he came to Samaria, he struck down all who remained to Ahab in Samaria till he had wiped them out according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. And then Jehu's going to continue. But all of a sudden, just briefly, just there's this just glimpse. He, he's on his way to, to get rid of rest of Ahab's family. He meets Jehonadab, one of these Rechabites, says, hey, you on my side in this matter of getting rid of Baal worship? He says, yes, I am. My, my heart is with you. Let's do this. Jehu says, well, then come on up here with me and let's do this. And off they ride to Samaria, getting rid of the rest of Ahab's family in the midst. Now, when we get to Jeremiah 35, something else had happened. It's not recorded in Scripture as far as particular text. But Jeremiah 35 tells us that this Jehonadab had made the family take a vow. And he had issued a command to his descendants, to his sons, to his sons after them, to their wives and to their children. And this family of Rechabites, under now Jehonadab, are now this very unique group of people existing amongst the people of God. Why are they unique? Because Jonadab had issued a command, a vow, for the entire family from his time onward. This is who we're going to be, clan. This is who we're going to be, family. This is the way it is. One, we will drink no wine. Two, we will build no houses. We will always live in tents. Three, we're going to be so nomadic as a tribe, we're not going to sow any seeds. We're not going to own particular pieces of land that we work, that we till, that we plant seeds in. We're not going to have vineyards. We're not going to own that kind of property. So one wonders, what did these people do for a living? Well, there would be all sort of craftsmanship and that sort of thing. He didn't say they couldn't keep livestock, okay, and travel like Jacob did, right? Like Isaac did, like Abraham did with their flocks and herds and so on and graze them. He didn't say they couldn't do that. He just said, we're going to be a nomadic people and we're going to drink no wine. This is what I want you to do, family. For the rest of the days of the existence of our family, this is the command we are to live by. That's the family. That's the family of Jeremiah chapter 35. Now, when we come to Jeremiah chapter 35, 
we are now approximately 200 years after the event of Jonadab getting into the chariot. So it's not like this is next week. It's not like Jeremiah 35 is the next day or the next month or a couple of years down the road that we find this family. It's been a couple of hundred years since Jonadab. He's still referenced in the passage, but it's been a long time since Jonadab said to his family, no wine, no houses, no sowing seed, no planting vineyard. God now comes to Jeremiah and says to Jeremiah, let's do a little test, point two. Let's do a test. This is what I want you to do. Jeremiah, God's faithful prophet, in the midst of some very unfaithful days, setting for us the context of why this is happening. And he says to Jeremiah, this is what I want you to do. I'm commanding you. Okay, this is not an option. Jeremiah, you have to do this. You take and gather this family of Rechabites under, who live under the line of Jonadab. Now, there might be other Rechabites. There might be other Kenites. But there's only this one family line of Jonadab. You find them, you get them, and you bring them to the temple. Set them in one of the rooms of the temple. Take some big pitchers of wine, put them on the table, put cups in front of each one of these men who is there gathered, and just say to them, drink wine. Now, I want you to notice something very careful. He does not say, the Lord commands you to drink wine. That would put this in a whole different situation. Jeremiah just says, hey, you're here in the house of the Lord. Okay. Good place to drink wine. There's wine available. Plenty of it. Drink. Here's cups. Drink wine. But you see, the Rechabites have a family history. The Rechabites have this vow that's been in existence 200 plus years. We're going to do. Look at verse 6 of Jeremiah chapter 35 again. So that that all brings us to that point. Verse 6. But they answered, We will drink no wine. We're not going to do it. Their response is no. We haven't been doing this for years, ever since, ever since great-great-grandpa instituted this for as our family. We are not going to do it. No. In fact, we've kept not just the no-drink-wine rule. We've kept the no-build-house rule. We've kept the no-sow-seed no rule. We've kept the no-plant-vineyard rule. Oh, except for the fact we're, we're in Jerusalem. You might say, why are you in a walled city then? 
Well, you see, Nebuchadnezzar's out there, and he's saber-rattling, and it's not looking real good. And if we're just out there as an individual clan, we could have decided it'd be more safe for us to be within a walled city. My guess is they're not living in anybody's house, though. They probably got tents pitched in the city streets. Right? But he's explaining, why are we, you know, because the question would be, we've kept, why are you in Jerusalem? Well, Nebuchadnezzar's out there. That's why we're here. That's why God brought them there, in order that Jeremiah could test them. No, we will not do this. I have all the reasons to. I mean, there's religious reasons, they're in the house of God. God's servant, who they know is a faithful man, Jeremiah, is the one telling them. Great-great-granddad's never going to know if they take a sip of wine. He's dead and long gone. Ah, we're out of our normal element. We usually aren't in cities. We're usually out in the country. Circumstances are a little different. I guess on this one occasion, we can take a little sip of wine. No, we will not do so. Now, what was the point? Why is God doing this? Is God kind of like, I think there might be some unfaithful Rechabites here. Let's test the Rechabites. Let's see if we can get one of them to mess up. Of course not. God, God's sovereign. He knows what's going to happen here. The reason he brings them in is to serve solely as an example. God is not commenting here. This is not a comment of God saying, see, it's a good thing that you drink no wine. Take those kind of vows. That's not what God's doing. God's not saying here, what a great thing that this clan of folks lives in no houses. That's the way my people should live. And you shouldn't plant any seeds. Don't be any of those seed planters. And don't be planting anything. God's not commenting on the vow. The vow, the specifics of the vow, are not what God is interested in. What God is observing is the faithfulness of these people. People who were not even Israelites. People who were Kenites. People who have been brought in. And God comes to Jeremiah and he says, Now, I want you to go to the people of Judah. Why the people of Judah? Because the people of Israel are out of existence. They're done for. They've been toasted a long time ago. They're gone. All that's left is Judah. That's the only nation that is in existence. Go to the people of Judah. Tell them what happened in the temple today. Tell them what happened. Tell them. I put wine before the Rechabites. Guess what the Rechabites did? They said no. Then God says to Jeremiah, and then you tell the people of Judah, imagine that. Here is this group of people, descendants of Jonadab, who are keeping some vow 
about no drinking and no houses. And they're still faithful to it to this day. Whether it's been 50, 75, 100 years, they still are faithful to that vow, to that command that their great-great-grandfather gave. Yet you people won't listen to me, and I am your father. Not your great-great-great-great-grandfather. I am your father. I am the Lord your God. And I come to you with my commands. My commands that are not burdensome. My commands that are not grievous. My commands that are good for you. My commands that are helpful to you. My commands that are a blessing to you. And you won't listen. You won't hear. If the Rechabites are willing to be faithful to the command of their ancestors, how is it that you as the people who are my children won't listen to me? You won't follow me. See, they're there as the example, not of the vow, but on vow keeping, of faithfulness. Of saying, we will do this. And there is nothing, nothing that's going to turn us aside. And you as the people of Judah, who know my truth, who are identified as my people, who bear the mark of being my children, I have come to time and time and time again with my prophets. I have been patient with you as a father. I have been merciful to you as a father. But you won't listen. You won't follow me. You won't heed my commands. Two consequences are mentioned. For the people of Judah, this, this horrible punishment. Behold, I am bringing, verse 17, upon Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the disaster that I have pronounced against them. The Babylonians are going to come and it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a bloodbath. You're going to go out of existence for 70 years. But to the Rechabites, Jeremiah announced this promise. You will always have somebody in your family line who will stand before me. You will always have somebody who will stand and say, I will follow the Lord. I will live by the Lord's command. Think of that. Think of that, folks, today. Think of, think of that blessing. Think of it men, dads, fathers, grandfathers today. If the Lord were to come to you and say, 
For until the time that Christ returns, there will always be at least one descendant of yours who confesses Jesus Christ. There will never be a time in your family history in which there will not be somebody who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. What a promise. What a promise based upon their faithfulness to their ancestors' command. God looks at that and he says, I like faithfulness. I like it when people are faithful to the commands, even of their ancestors. It's a good thing. Here's a blessing for you, Rechabites. You'll always have somebody. Now, one of the things we have to attach to this is this. The Lord's not just blessing this because of their faithfulness. The way this gets connected is that in some way, Jonadab took this vow that they might be recognized as the people of God. And God is saying, and I will always recognize one of your descendants. But can we pause for a moment and just think of how this applies to today? Let me ask you, dads, granddads. Do you have the fervent hope in your heart that your family line will, until Christ returns, be faithful? You know, there were some kings of Israel who got addressed by prophets and said, Hey, disaster's going to come upon your house. When? Ah, a few generations down. And you know how the kings responded? They said, oh, phew, good, at least not in my day. They cared not what happened to their grandchildren, great-grandchildren. Do you? Do you care what happens generations down the road? Do you care what happens within your family a hundred years from now? Do you care? Does it matter to you whether or not your descendants will be people of faith? People who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Or doesn't that matter? Is it enough that you know him? Is it enough that you serve him and you're like, hey, I'm good to go. Kids, they're on their own. Grandkids, they're on their own. Great grandkids, could care less. You go, no, Bob, of course not. Of course we want them to be people of faith. So then how faithful are you? See, the story of the Rechabites works because generation after generation after generation after generation after generation kept the command. Are you? 
So you want generations down the road. But are you? See, generational faithfulness begins with you. And maybe you could look at life and say, Pastor Bob, that's not my family history. You know what? In my family history, it only goes back one generation to my father. Prior to that, there's no evidence that they were people of great faith and of faithfulness. Some of you are being called today to be the first of your generation to be Jonadab and to say from this time forth, we're going to live as the people of God. But some of us, some of you have had the blessing. If I take it on, on my mother's side, it's, gener it's, it's generational. It's years and years and years and years and years. And many of us are the recipients of that. There has been generational faithfulness over the years by our ancestors. And we're blessed as a result of that. The question is, are you continuing the faithfulness? Oh, not just in your commitment to Jesus Christ. Are we as dads, as granddads, great-grandfathers, continuing that commitment to our children? How much time are you putting into influencing your children in the things of the Lord? How much time are you putting into that? My guess is, okay, before you think I'm just going to beat you across the head, my guess is we're doing better than average. My guess is we're doing a lot better than average. But is that good enough? Used to be somebody who hit 226 in the major leagues was probably going down to the minors and they were done. Now you get multi-million dollar contracts. I think we've settled for 226 averages sometimes as dads. It's good enough. Should it be better? Need it be better? What do you think happens if some descendants in this line from Jonadab down to these folks that Jeremiah is gathering says, you know what, I'm going to keep these vows about 25% of the time. What do you think those people would have done in the temple by that time? Hey, you got a barrel of this stuff? See, it does begin with us. Can't blame the generation past. Can't blame the kids of the future. Begins with us. Was present this past week at a presentation by a young man who presented to us some statistics about the poor of this nation. 
Do you realize that 58% of black children have no father in their home? And we want to blame the 13-year-old kid. 38%. of Hispanic children in this country have no father in their home. Twenty percent of white children between the ages of zero and 18 have no father in their home. That's just no dad present in the home. He's not existing. He doesn't live there. That's not to include the statistics of the dad who is there but is absent. The dad who comes home just to sleep and eat. And pays no attention to his children. When you pick up the newspaper. When you listen to the news, understand what the real problem is. It's absent fathers. And that's just the stuff of life. The statistics are mind-boggling about what happens to children raised in homes where there is no dad. Alcohol, drugs, violence. It, It just goes on and on and on and on and on. And they're not even measuring the spiritual consequences. Which ought to be your and my first priority. Today. Today. We become Jonadabs. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we're going to mean it. We're going to mean it. We're going to do it. We're going to practice it. We're going to demonstrate it. That's good. Yeah, nice. But the only way that's going to make a difference to the next generation is if we're involved with them. This isn't by osmosis. It's by teaching. It's by training. Yes, it's by our godly example, but it's also there. They didn't just catch Jonadab's vow. Hey, I I guess we don't drink wine because I don't see any in my family. They instructed them. You don't drink wine. You don't do this. You don't do that. We're doing better. I mean that sincerely. I look around, I look at you men. I know you're doing good. I know you are. But we can do better. By God's grace, 
Let today be the day that you and your family say, we will do better. Because I want to have the long view. I want to look forward. I want to see and hear that promise God makes to the Rechabites. Be true in my family, in your family. There will always, always be someone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It's a challenging word, particularly to us as men in our call. And Lord, as I look over the men of this congregation, I see good men. I see good men who desire good things for their children. They desire to be good dads. They desire to provide for their children. They desire, Father, to, to be godly men. Godly men who raise and train their children for your glory and for your honor. Men, Father, who seek to be faithful to the truths of your word. What a blessing. What a blessing it is to serve a congregation in which so many men have a passion to being godly fathers. But Father, we, we know in our own hearts as dads, there's a lot of stuff that gets in the way. There's a lot of things that creep in and pretty soon a week goes by and we haven't spent much time with our kids. A, a month goes by and we haven't had a conversation with them. Then off to college they go and somebody else is busy influencing them. Father, help us to make a commitment to do better. To do better. To be the men that you call us to be. Forgive us for failure. We've all had them. Not one of us here, here who's the perfect father except you. You're the only one who's the perfect dad upon today. The cards may say it, but we know it isn't true. You are, though. And in your perfection, you have sent your son into this world to die. That we might have life. That we might be forgiven. That we might be your children. Sons and daughters of the kingdom. And as we now come to the table, Father, that table that is the reminder of that which you have done, may we see it this morning, Lord, as a cleansing, but also as that new covenant, that new commitment that we have in Jesus Christ. That we can go forth from this place, Father, with a renewed joy. Today is, today is a day makes a difference in each one of our lives as dads, as grandfathers. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.